If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, meet Julie Bornstein, the founder and CEO of The Yes, a new shopping platform that leverages AI to create a completely unique shopping experience for each consumer. Julie has over 25 years of experience in fashion and e-commerce. She led e-commerce for Urban Outfitters, then helped build Nordstrom.com, and served as the CMO of Sephora. Most recently, she was COO at Stitch Fix, where she helped scale the company to $1 billion in just under six years. Now, with $30 million in funding, Julia set out to create the digital department store of the future and just launched the Yes in May. Let's welcome her. Welcome, Julie. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me, Alexa. I'm so excited to talk about this, especially because the quote that's been going over in my head with COVID is like, we started the year in 2020, we're ending it in 2030. Everything has been sucked forward. And so we're going to talk a little bit about your, your predictions for the future, but I want you to just start with the good basics here. What is the yes in your own words? The yes is a new shopping platform. Right now, we're an app on iOS only, although we'll, that will expand over time, and we sell women's fashion. So each person downloads the app fills out a very short sort of Q&A that's really important, and then basically has a home feed that is filled with interesting fashion relevant to each person. Each person's home feed looks different. Um, I would say Spotify is probably our inspiration and in that we are the home of lots of different kinds of fashion and fashion brands, just like um, Spotify is for music. And um, then you can discover new things, search for anything you want, and check out, um, everything is easy to buy, it's one click. And so it's kind of a new fun way to shop that I think will um, become uh, kind of a go-to for everyone who loves to shop for clothes in the future. Well, first of all, I love this idea um, more than just, I mean, also the number of people I shop for, I can just imagine if I could curate the content, the type of, I mean, yes, you have me at the yes. Um, I want to just rewind. You had the idea. Walk us through the steps from, you know, going from CMO, COO to founder. Just walk us through that journey, the emotional journey, the decision to say, all right, I got to go do this. How'd that happen? Well, first of all, when I graduated from Harvard undergrad, I went and I worked for Donna Karen. And it was in 1992, and I loved fashion. I had been a government major. I had worked in politics and decided the government wasn't for me. The pace was not one for me. And so I decided I wanted to try business, and fashion was one of the areas I was always most interested in. And so that was kind of my first job out of school. And while I was there, I had the idea of you know denim, which had sort of been designer denim in the 80s with Gloria Vanderbilt and Vidal Sassoon, became all about used Levi's in the late 80s and early 90s. And then kind of designer denim was starting to come back and it was hard to find you know, where, to, where you could get it. And so I had this idea of creating a denim bar, um, but I was 20 
three. And frankly, in 1993, there were no capital markets for young entrepreneurs, really. It wasn't even being about being a woman. It just didn't really exist. And so it, it was more of a pipe dream. I went back to business school and I worked briefly in investment banking with retail and consumer companies. And then I joined Starbucks primarily because I was focused on moving to Seattle where my husband had joined Amazon and he knew he was going to stay and I was ready to leave banking and move into industry. And so I was there for a few years and, and that's really when e-commerce began. And I spent about, I mean, the first time I saw Amazon live and, you know, the summer of 96, when, when it first turned on, you know, my brain exploded with all that you could do with online shopping and e-commerce and fashion. And so it was sort of in my mind from that point, how much more efficient shopping could be. And I had spent many years growing up as a kid in the mall. So I thought a lot about this. And so, um, I, eventually went to, uh, I spent six months trying to convince Nordstrom to hire me just as they had announced that they were launching e-commerce and joined them and was there for five years. And I would say during that time, we had a lot of interesting ideas that technology couldn't yet bring to life. And so I remember in, in literally, it was like January of 2000, I'm sitting in Dan Nordstrom's office and he said to me, it's all about personalization, Julie. And I said, you know, we don't even have any of the brands in the store online. We have like this catalog and some shoes. We have so much to do. We have to figure out how to get product. We have to figure out how to, you know, convince the brands to sell to us online. We have to allow search to work and get, you know, a photo studio going. So it was so basic back then, but we did have a bunch of really cool ideas. Um, and I was there for five years and we, you know, built the business to about 350 million in those five years. And it's continued to go on and be a huge success for Nordstrom. I then went to Urban Outfitters where I really got a different take on the world as a specialty brand and as a truly creative brand. It was just a really fun change, but I was able to take all my e-commerce knowledge and quickly help build a really thriving e-commerce business there. Um, and in both cases, the role I played was really as advocate for kind of the possibility that e-commerce could actually bring to the business and really um, a true commitment to the user experience. So even though I was an executive, I was obsessed with the user experience and I was the I would always find every bug that came up. And so I'd been thinking about this and really as time passed, there were a couple of things I had been I was thinking about. One was data and how much data we were gathering and how little we were using it. And, you know, that was the promise of the internet is you could track everything, but yet it was like data overload and no one knew how to use it. And then the second was just how inefficient it was to buy inventory, move it from a brand's warehouse to a second warehouse, ship it to a consumer and, you know, run out and do the whole thing again or have overstocks and have to ship it back to the brand. So in the back of my mind, those were always thoughts. I went on to Sephora, helped them build out both e-commerce and we launched Beauty Insider, the loyalty program, um, which was so much fun. And there I really tried to, use, you know, I think we started to use data in really interesting ways. Um, but while I was there, I met Katrina Lake, the founder of Stitch Fix, and she um, had heard about me and wanted to meet and was, you know, as a good entrepreneur always is, um, persistent. So when I didn't respond the first time, she reached out again and I took the meeting and, you know, just loved all the things she was thinking about and talking about. And this was sort of an example, while a different business model than I had envisioned, an example of how to take data to the next level and really understand the users, you know, who the user is and everything about them in order to give them sort of the right recommendations. Um, so I joined her board 
was on the board for two and a half years. And then as the business was scaling, there was just so much opportunity. Um, so I joined a COO and I was there for about two and a half years. And I would say when I joined, my thought was, I really need to figure out sort of, do I want to do a startup? Because I had, again, had a couple of other times when I left Nordstrom before Urban, I had an, a startup idea and did. Nordstrom convinced me not to do it. It always been something I wanted to do. And I would say Stitch Fix really gave me the experience and the um, conviction that there's so much you can do in a startup environment. And I had the comfort with fundraising because I had worked with our investors. Um, so, you know, I'm a different generation than a lot of the founders today. So for me, having all the experience and really feeling qualified to finally do this was part of what sort of was a personal need of mine. So I finally felt like, okay, a couple of things had to come into place in one. I think one is that I had the idea that I really felt like was the future of retail. The second is that I really felt like I was the best person in the world to do this specific thing. My experience was so deep. So, you know, I really felt like there are very few people who really understand building great shopping experiences in fashion, working with fashion brands and working with deep tech and to bring that all together to create a consumer experience. So I felt like I was highly qualified to do it, which gave me the confidence to go you know, fundraise. And I would say the third is that I was just ready. I mean, I had worked for so many different people and I really felt like I was ready to be my own boss. I knew what I wanted to do. And, you know, I had the huge benefit of having a little financial freedom because Stitch Fix did well. If you think about the consumer behaviors that you're betting on with the yes, you clearly have a very clear view on what you think the future is going to look like. And we get that Spotify with shopping. But tell us in more detail. There's clearly real theses that you have about what it's going to look like for us to shop online. Again, the digital department store of the future. Tell us a bit more about what you see. Yes, I think the reality of shopping online is the first generation, the first wave was really, we're going to put a catalog up on the web. We're going to have a pretty traditional navigation and it's sort of the onus is on you, the shopper, to find what you want and figure it out. And in categories that are like books, more sort of indexable, works really well. But everyone copied Amazon and it doesn't work well for categories that are much more nuanced. And the other thing is, is that it's super time consuming and it's not a learning process. So you can shop on Nordstrom.com or ShopBop or Net-A-Porter or any site and you can feel like, I don't know how many things I've bought on this site and how many times I've been here. Why are you showing me these things that make no sense for me that I've never shown any interest in? And so the, the reality is you have to go through 12 pages of a midi dress to find the three that appeal to you and the experience doesn't get any better the next time you come back. And so really my thesis is we are able now, especially with the technology the way it is to not only ask you some questions that help us just up front kind of reduce the clutter for you. For example, in the onboarding of the yes, we ask you, what things do you never want to wear? So if you're saying, I would never wear an off the shoulder top or a deep V or a mini skirt, you just can tell us that and we're going to push all of that aside. You don't have to worry about you know, scrolling through tons of pages of things that are, you know are irrelevant. So that's kind of the easy stuff. But the, you know, the thesis really is, how do we, there's so much product out there and the more time goes on, the more websites there are, the more brands there are, the more overwhelming it becomes. And so we are all overwhelmed. We spend you know, an hour in bed from 11 to 12 trying to find whatever it is we need. And then we, after you know, 
going through a hundred pages of product in five different sites, we like close our computer and we're exhausted. And so that process just doesn't need to be so hard. If you can actually understand enough about the product category, and in our case, we're going in fashion first, and you can understand enough about the consumer, you can really re-rank the web according to each user and make it so much more effective. So that's the initial thesis. I would say the other two pieces are really about the fact that you don't need to own the inventory. There's so, everyone now has a website. You can leverage the infrastructure that each brand has built, and you can actually access their entire pool of inventory as opposed to going, buying a few pieces off the line, assuming the buyer knows the interests of all the potential you know, customers. Um, and you also don't need to reshoot every photo. So this is something that's specific to e-commerce, but you know, I built photo studios for Nordstrom and Urban and Stitch Fix, and it's painful waiting for samples, reshooting everything, just to sort of water down the look and feel of the brand. And so you know, two of my points when starting was we're gonna leverage the beautiful you know, photographic assets of the brand, and we're going to leverage their inventory. And we're actually going to do this in support of them. So we do things like you can follow a brand directly through our platform, directly on Instagram. You can sign up directly for their newsletter. You can learn about that brand because ultimately we're not trying to interfere with the relationship. Like, you know, I think brands felt the traditional department store model was, you know, the department store owns the customer and the brand doesn't get the data. And we have no interest in that. We will build a superior shopping experience for someone who's trying to find something. And if you know exactly the brand you love and want, you can always go directly to their site. And that's great too. It's also really symbiotic, right? Because the bigger you get, the happier brands are going to be to be able to have partnerships. So I want you to double click more on that. How did you think about brand partnerships? Which brands you begin to bring, bring on early? Is there a high to low strategy? Which customers are you planning to serve at the yes right away? Is it women and kids? Is it men, women, and kids? How do you think about that? And just clearly you have a strategy because you can't boil the ocean overnight. So how do you think about the next two years? Yeah, so the women's market is much bigger and more complex than the men's market and the kids' market. So we started in women's um, and that's really where a lot of the pain point is. And then um, we really thought about um, the fact that you want to be high to low, but you can't be high to low without high. And, you know, the brands at the luxury end of the market are, of course, extremely particular about their distribution. And so what we decided was we want to have a really good mix of brands for women who, you know, the age range is quite broad. So I thought it would be something like 25 to 65, but like high school and college girls already love the app and are using it. They always aspire up anyway. Um, but they actually get the concept like so it, it organically that it's been fun to see. But we're really focused on how do we make sure we can service the luxury shopper and very few shoppers are luxury only. So if you want to have the full sort of option for the high-end shopper, you need to have both the high-end brands and all of the great kind of contemporary brands and everyday brands. So whether it's, you know, Everlane and Madewell for a great tea and it's Gucci for, you know, the awesome dress um, and it's frame for the jeans, you know, you need to have it all in order to make it work for the customer. And so one of the challenges is when you're, you know, building sort of a two-sided marketplace, you have the brands and you have the consumers. In our case, we couldn't even start this business without having the assortment online. And so you just couldn't even test the thesis of what we were building unless you had the right, enough of an assortment to start. So there, the reason we took two years to build this is for two reasons. One is we needed to get all the brands on board. And the second is because we needed to build the technology. For the brands piece, I was introduced early on to Taylor Tomasi Hill, who is 
you know, a pretty influential figure in fashion. She was um, an editor at a number of magazines, Vogue and W and uh, Marie Claire. And then she was also the fashion director of Moda Operandi in the early days. And she was looking for something new and she's very entrepreneurial and we met and totally hit it off. She's one of those people who, in spite of being like, a true icon in the fashion world for many women is also incredibly down to earth and business oriented. And, you know, it's not, you don't always find that mix. And so I just, you know, we really connected right away. And so she really helped put together the first set of brands. And it was a combination of the big luxury players and all, and the important ones, you know, I mean, it's sort of goes in waves, but right now sort of Gucci and Bottega are, you know, Balenciaga are really at the forefront. And then she had a roster of amazing emerging designers like Rosie Asulin and Cesar Marjan, who bring a lot of real authenticity to um, the market. And so she put together our first list. And she was also the person who said to me, every single one of these brands needs a customized presentation. They need to understand the level of personalization that we're talking about. And we need to show them what the product's going to look like. And we need to put them in it so they can see themselves in it. And so we invested heavily in that experience for every single brand we went out to. We knew a lot of the things that matter to these brands, but it was so helpful to actually talk face to face. I mean, we hit the road, we went everywhere. And then Lisa Green, who um, now runs partnerships for us, Taylor's our fashion director, who had come from Google, where she worked on bringing all these brands onto sort of the advertising platform of Google and YouTube, had also worked with a lot of these brands. And so between the three of us, we trotted the globe, we talked to all these brands, we got a really good feel for what mattered to them. And we launched with 150 brands. And what I would say is the way we think about sort of the construct of the brands is a range of price point, uh, making sure that we are really well covered on the high end and uh, bringing sort of both the known established brands along with the up and coming emerging brands. Um, and then, you know, a range of style aesthetic um, and then a range of categories. So we're really trying to, but we, we need to focus on women's fashion in order to be able to serve this customer well. Tell me a little bit more about how you think COVID is going to impact just, it's been unprecedented for businesses. Just how do you think about COVID and the future of shopping online as a result of it? You know, I think there, it's such a weird impact on the world because there's this fear about going out. So we're really not going out that much. And so we don't need to buy fashion so much. There's a huge unemployment and growing but the markets are doing really well. And so, you know, different people are affected in different ways. And so it's a little bit schizophrenic in that regard. I do think that what's happened is everyone's had to buy everything online because that's all you could do. And so people are trying new things and using new apps. And so there's definitely a step change in the moving to online. And so I think that that step change is going to stick. So, you know, there was a trend, there's a step change. Now the trend will grow off of this big increase and that will continue. So, you know, I think it's in that way. I mean, we were already really focused on the opportunities that existed to make shopping better, but now that people are stuck shopping online more and they're going to continue to want to do it because it's working for them. Uh, you know, I think building sort of a new experience is super relevant. I worry about stores. I, I personally love to shop. It's my favorite, like shop in store. It's my favorite pastime. I don't think there will be as many afterwards. I do think shopping will always, physical shopping will always be there. I just don't know exactly how it will look and in, you know, sort of where it will be. You know, I think that what we see with DTC companies is their whole sort of financial model is built off of the idea that their work 
course is, you know, e-commerce and the stores are almost like customer acquisition tools. And I think that allows them to have a different financial structure, which can enable them to have stores and web. Whereas when you look at all of these physical retailers that added e-commerce later, they're just the resources and their capital is tied up in different ways and it makes it much harder to continue to succeed. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I'll spend so much time on Instagram and that's how I will discover incredible brands, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody that I follow, that I admire, that I know has similar taste to me that will buy X bag, X dress. How do you think about Instagram and the yes interplaying? I think that they have very different purposes. I think they're both good for discovery. I think of Instagram as more of an impulse buy. Whereas I think of, and you're doing a lot of different things there. Whereas the yes is very focused on you want to shop, you're looking for something or you're interested in finding something. And it's really a, it's an outing to go shopping. And so it's less of a, you know, whimsical, oh, that's cool kind of thing. And I think the truth is for shopping, uh, you know, we all, our DNA is in each company. And so I just think whatever your DNA starts at, you're going to be best at. And we are shopping. That is our whole DNA. And everything we do around that is to help the experience. So I almost see us as a little bit of like the flip side of Instagram. So if Instagram is about sort of seeing what your friends are up to, and maybe you might find something you like to wear or a recipe you want to cook. For us, it's kind of like, I want to go shopping. And then the share and the influencer are part of our experience too. But it's more like... I'm looking for something to wear for this kind of situation. Okay, let me see who's wearing what. Let me see ideas and then great, everything's viable. And so it will be kind of from a shopping mindset. And I think social is super important. So we already have in our app a way for you to, you can invite friends and you can see the things that they're yesing. And it's really fun. You get to see things that may not show up in your feed because they're maybe not totally you, but like I see Taylor's feed and it's super fun for me to see it. And it's just one way to inspire discovery for me. What I would say is that from a brand standpoint, we will have a lot of small, interesting brands. We already do. I would say half of our brands are really small. You know, a lot of people already say, oh, I, I never knew this brand, Lem Lem, or, you know, Nation is like this amazing t-shirt company. So, you know, we have a real mix. And I think that one of the nice things, I was talking to a reporter this morning, and she was asking about minority-owned companies, and it's harder to get into like the traditional wholesale department store. And you know, for us, that doesn't exist. So as long as you have a brand that stands for something and it has value, you know, we're interested. And so that's nice because it can be a real mix. What are your other big bets that you think are going to happen in retail? Just again, if you can be the crystal ball, the world is changing rapidly in front of us. Just what are the other things that you believe that are kind of obvious in your head? You know, I think that the impact of data, which is continuing to get stronger in both understanding and in um, helping create product and in helping um, to match product to consumers will just improve the efficiency of the supply chain tremendously. And so, you know, there's a company called 
maker site, and they are working with brands to really identify back further back in the design end of things, how to figure out what's actually worth making and producing. I think that's one piece. I think that um, the sort of pay to play for brands is so low that there is sort of, and there's so many passionate people who have a product in mind that they want to make and bring to bear that I think that there will be more brands and kind of a um, broader disbursement. And so I would say platforms like the Yes that are probably focused on some key verticals will become more and more useful. You know, you're in a position where this isn't your first time really at bat. Um, you've been in the seats a lot, and God, I wish I was you back when I first started started LearnVest. Um, but how do you actually navigate the undulations of building a business? What keeps you sane? I think it's a combination of things. I mean, one is that I have always been kind of a very focused person. And so I love what I'm doing and I'm good at cutting out the noise. And I think it's a combination of the energy I get from the team, my husband and children who are incredible supporters and always giving me ideas. And, you know, Sam, my son, who's 14, like started drilling me on, he didn't even know the term TAM, but he started basically asking me questions. Well, how big is the potential market? How many customers could you have? And what do you have now? And how much more, you know? So I think that they're just super engaged. And my, you know, I would say some people really separate work and life. And for me, they're just sort of very intertwined. And I, it's not so different because I've been leading teams and working in this, in, you know, very intense businesses for many years. Like the switch for me that was weird was going to such a small team, not having the responsibility of managing a team or a business. Okay, for the yes only, what was your biggest pinch me moment to date? Honestly, we launched and a bunch of my team sent texts from friends who downloaded it. And I think one of them said, this is life-changing. This is the only way to shop. And I think it was like, I mean, it's honestly hearing people who don't know me and have like no, you know, skin in the game that just truly love the product and get it. That is by far the thing that makes me happiest. Oh, that is just the best. By the way, you have so much fun ahead of you. I like wish I could come and be like a little mouse on your team. Okay. Last question here. Other than the yes, if you want to pay it forward to another startup early, early startup or product, something you're obsessed with right now. This, it's not very sexy, but I am obsessed with it right now, and it's Instabug. So Instabug is basically a tool that you wire into your app, and basically anyone who's on the app can shake their phone, and they can basically, it, it screenshots wherever you are, and it automatically creates sort of a little form field that's super easy that already has your email address in it, and you basically can say, you know, you should do this, or this is a bug, or why am I seeing two of these, or whatever you want, and they come to us. And so everyone on my team gets the notes every time a consumer is in the app and sees something that is not working, and the tool is just awesome. It's easy to use, and the amount of feedback and ideas you get from it is, as a business owner, amazing and brilliant. Oh my God, I love it. Also like spoken like a true founder, you're like, I'm obsessed with anything that finds me more bugs right now. Exactly. I love it. Exactly. Oh, Julie, you're tremendous. Thank you so much for joining us today. For everybody out there listening, if you want to check out The Yes, first of all, download the app or head to theyes.com. And you can also join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Thank you, Julie. I am so excited. I'm going to be spending all of my savings on the yes, but I'm just so grateful for the amount of time you're going to give back to me. So thank you so much for coming today. Thanks, Alexa. It's great to talk to you.